May 31st. And now we'll be reading from the New Testament, this time the book of John. We'll learn about the crown. Jesus and Pilate had been talking about a kingdom. So it was only right that the king have a crown. It was meant for mockery, but it preached a powerful message where Jesus was wearing the consequences of Adam's sins. But a crown is a sign of victory. He has overcome. And then, of course, there's the cross. Jesus started out bearing his own cross, but then Simon was drafted to carry it for him. We're not told why, although tradition says that Jesus fell and could not carry it. But considering all he had been through, that's not difficult to believe. Criminals carried the cross as a sign of guilt, and Jesus was not guilty. And we'll read about the conquest. It is finished, was the cry of a conqueror. Jesus accomplished what all of the old covenant sacrifices could not do. The prophecies and types were fulfilled, and the sacrifice for sins made once and for all forever. It was not a martyr that Joseph and Nicodemus put into that tomb. No, it was a victor. And with that, let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. May 31st, John chapter 19, verses 23 through 42. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless woven in one piece from the top. So they said, Let's not tear it, but throw dice, to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my clothes among themselves, and threw dice for my robe. So that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Woman, he is your son. And he said to this disciple, She is your mother. And from then on this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that everything was now finished, and to fulfill the scriptures he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Jewish leaders didn't want the victims hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath, and a very special Sabbath at that, because it was the Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus... They saw that he was dead already, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness, giving an accurate account. It is presented so that you also can believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the scriptures that say, Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on him whom they pierced. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body down. When Pilate gave him permission, he came and took the body away. 
Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night, also came, bringing about seventy-five pounds of embalming ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Together they wrapped Jesus' body in a long linen cloth with the spices, as is the Jewish custom of burial. The place of crucifixion was near a garden, where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation before the Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Our default position as strugglers is to believe that God's disappointed and frustrated. That He simply is tolerating us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says, No, 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 no. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, He was going to adopt you, make you holy and blameless in His sight. So whether difficult days or good days, God's at work. God has not abandoned you in this difficult season. How amazing does that make our God that in our hypocrisy, He's long-suffering with us. In our inability to live out all that He would call us to, He continues to lavish upon us His grace. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So I love this word lavish, extravagant, plentiful, over the top. And so now when the Bible's talking about forgiveness, it's saying that His grace in forgiveness is lavish, like it's too much, like it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount, right? It's, it's, it's weight, it's over the top. It's out of control. Man of woman of God, in Christ but struggling, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. You haven't surprised Him. You cannot surprise Him. God is not watching where you are now, watching how you've struggled this week, watching how you stumble and fall, and regretting the decision to pay the price for you in full. You have no sin past present and future that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation wasn't just a past event alone, but that Christ even now is continuing to save you. He didn't forgive your past sins and now leaving it up to you to conquer present and future sins, which means it doesn't matter how you came in here. It means God can rescue. It means God can save. And it means for those of us who are in Christ, you do not disgust him. You do not discuss it. You don't know what I struggle with and how deplorable it is. Um, I know that Jesus would say that he paid the bill in full, and so what you're saying is nonsense. That is the grace with which he lavished on us in his forgiveness. Today we're reading from Psalm 119, verses 129 through 152. When you live by the Word of God, your life becomes wonderful because the Word of God is wonderful. When you feed on this Word, it has an effect in your life. The Spirit shows you wonderful things in the Word and enables you to meditate on His wonderful works. God transforms your mind 
and enables you to escape the dull conformity of the world. His light shines within you, and His face shines upon you, so that you become a light in a dark world. As we read further, a key word of this section is righteousness. No matter how zealous we may be for God's truth, we must also have His righteousness if we're going to succeed. The Word helps us practice righteousness in a sinful world. There is no substitute for integrity, which comes from loving the Word and obeying it. And as we move further into Psalm 119, we'll see in this section the psalmist is crying out to God in prayer and reminding us that the Word of God helps us to pray in the will of God. The Word of God and prayer must never be separated. If they are, we will get ourselves out of balance. The better we know the Word, the more effectively we will pray. And the more effectively we pray, the better we will learn the Word. Psalm 119, verses 129 through 152. Your decrees are wonderful. No wonder I obey them. As your words are taught, they give light. Even the simple can understand them. I open my mouth, panting expectantly, longing for your commands. Come and show me your mercy, as you do for all who love your name. Guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by any evil. Rescue me from the oppression of evil people. Then I can obey your commandments. Look down on me with love. Teach me all your principles. Rivers of tears gush from my eyes, because people disobey your law. O Lord, you are righteous, and your decisions are fair. Your decrees are perfect. They are entirely worthy of our trust. I am overwhelmed with rage, for my enemies have disregarded your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. That is why I love them so much. I am insignificant and despised, but I don't forget your commandments. Your justice is eternal, and your law is perfectly true. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. Your decrees are always fair. Help me to understand them that I may live. I pray with all my heart, Answer me, Lord. I will obey your principles. I cry out to you, save me, that I may obey your decrees. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. I stay awake through the night, thinking about your promise. In your faithful love, O Lord, hear my cry. In your justice, save my life. Those lawless people are coming near to attack me. They live far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. I have known from my earliest days that your decrees never change. Proverbs 16, verses 12 and 13. A king despises wrongdoing, for his rule depends on his justice. The king is pleased with righteous lips. He loves those who speak honestly.